0: It's fun. We are back, baby. We are back. We are back. You are looking live. We get after it, you know. We jabber jaw. We go tit for tat. We have our little differences. Let's get fucking like a monkey. And here we go. Hello, and welcome to the and Reeves podcast. This is episode two hundred two of the pod. I we're we're two sure. past uh, we're two past the century. We're two past the century, Mark, and I literally just had to rack my brain to figure out... We're well out what on what
1: our way to 300. Number. Right.
0: The bit is dead, but it is truly a struggle that I live with each and every week we sit down and do this podcast, but 202 is where we stand alongside Matt Rooney. I am Joe Musso. Matt, a uh, good morning to you. We got a little master's wrap-up to do. We're going to check in on uh, north side, south side, how things are going in the early off of the baseball season. But first and foremost, how the hell are you?
1: I'm doing lovely. A little bit disappointed when you've got to finally delete that Masters app after the nice long weekend. It's kind of a sad moment. Um, but we got two Masters yeah, this year. we it, got two ones that maybe lacked excitement in, on the final day, the final stretches, but were still, I think, a lot of fun to watch and had their highlights. It was, it was a lot of fun.
0: See, I thought that this Masters – uh, last week was far more entertaining than the November Masters. I, now, I would did agree I like with that. there. Johnson, did, did I like Dustin Johnson as a champion more? Maybe, yeah, because he was he's a brand name. He's a marquee guy. Um, it was great for his career and just that rocket ship that he's been riding the last two and a half, three years. Not to say that this is an, an absolute catalyst to Hideki Matsuyama and his global footprint uh, would be ignoring... Uh, the biggest impact maybe that any player has had on their career like I mean go back and look at past Masters champions and even major champions yeah it means a ton to all of them and to the way that golf history is going to remember them but like what this means to Hideki Matsuyama and like you know we keep hearing it over and over I'm not sure we fully understand what this means from a global standpoint but like dollars and cents is the money that this green jacket means to him beyond a $2 million check here on Sunday is almost incomprehensible. Like the business, this is going to bring this young man for the next 40 yeah. years of his life being the master champion. Like Faldo said it on the CBS broadcast. I would not be surprised. And I think it would be great for the game of golf and great for sports and sports fans everywhere. If Hideki Matsuyama is the one lighting the Olympic torch in Japan this summer. And it's not far fetched because like, the celebration of the athlete, um, is a worldwide thing, but everybody does it a little bit differently. And just the honor, um, that he's brought to his country and that fan base, um, you know, it it can't, it can't be understated what this week meant to Hideki Matsuyama or it can't be overstated, excuse Mm -hmm. me, what this week meant to Hideki Matsuyama in the game of golf globally.
1: It was just like, you could tell too when he was kind of coming off the course. He was kind—I of, mean, obviously he was in his zone all weekend because you don't win a Masters. I know it ended up only being by one shot, but it was pretty comfortable. You don't win a Masters that comfortably unless you're not. When he was mm-hmm. kind of walking, but after after he shook the you know shook hands on the 18th green, was kind of walking to the clubhouse the house to sign his uh, sign his card. Still like holding his putter, and I think like kind of halfway down that walk, you can kind of tell like it like it finally started to hit him and you could see that emotion. You can kind of see that weight come off his shoulders. Cause like you said, it's been said it's been kind of beat like a death, the beat uh, beat to death here. But like he was not playing for just his family. he wasn't just playing for himself. He was le- legitimately yeah. playing with the hopes, dreams, wishes of an entire country on his back and doing that on golf's greatest stage with maybe not the biggest names chasing you, but still some guys playing some pretty darn good golf behind your back. Uh, but um, you coming from behind you. It's, it's tough. He absolutely weathered the storm. Kind of, the, he had that bad tee shot off one. Was able to kind of settle down. He was he kind of tested himself, and at the end, kind of seeing that emotion kind of wave kind of come at him all at once when he was making that walk was kind of. It was very cool to see him kind of just kind of like snap from golfer to kind of person very quickly.
0: I, I mean, think about think about what we. What it was, it was a four shot lead coming into Sunday, Mm -hmm. um, felt like it might be a coronation unless somebody made a push and 20 minutes into the round, Will Zelatoris is one off the lead. So like everybody that was ready to say, oh, it's four shots. This is going to be a boring Sunday. Now it might not have had the drama or the marquee shot of past masters Mm -hmm. Sundays, but, um, Short of Tiger Woods on 12 two years ago, what really has? You had, you had the Bubba shot a few years back. Um, you know, Charles Schwartz will go birdie crazy down the stretch. That goes back about a decade now. Yeah. But it, sometimes it's not the chip in 05. Or most times it's not the yeah. chip in 05 or, or the putt in the playoff against, uh, which McCall, why am I blanking on who he beat in 05? Not that Davis Love. It was, Chris DeMarco. Um, Chris DeMarco, thank you. Um, The putt against Chris DeMarco, like, it's Mm -hmm. not always going to be that, and it's not always going to be the most uh, marquee names at the top of the board. Now, we sat here a week ago and said, I think this is going to be an experience-laden leaderboard, and it was not, and I can't necessarily tell you why that was, but consistency is what won this tournament. I mean, Hideki was absolutely nails throughout. He was under par the first three days. Um, Would have shot an even par around if he makes that putt on Mm the uh, 18th hole there, but... He minimized damage, and I'm, I believe I'm right in saying he was one of only a handful of guys without a double bogey on the card this week. And that's really what it is. I mean, you saw a youngster in Will Zalatoris at 24 years old make an actual run at this thing. Because he, was, because he just minimized the miss. Now, mm-hmm. Jordan Spieth had a double and a triple on, the, on his card throughout the week. Uh, Justin Thomas makes a triple on Saturday that completely backpedals him out of things. It's really mm-hmm. just keeping yourself in the conversation and when you get to 10 or when you get to two on sunday you know you got to have a birdie at two and then just kind of hold your water until eight and then eight nine maybe try and steal one more before you get to amen corner if you're really feeling it and if the wind's down you could score again there but like it's we've seen this tournament at this place so many times we know where the opportunities are and Hideki matsuyama not only took all the opportunities but he didn't allow things to come off the rails in between those opportunities, and I really think that's the way that you have to play this tournament and you have to play this course because it really boiled down to the fact that Hideki Matsuyama, who's criminally—that's um, not a good place to pause—but who's who's putting, <laughs> who's, who's, who's putting has, who's putting has been criminally poor over the last half decade. Like that's what's holding mm-hmm. Hideki Matsuyama back. The ball striking's always been there, but. um, to see it all come together, and to see a Masters champion who not only is deserving, but who, I think it's fair to say, processed this in a completely different way because of like his, his upbringing and his culture and the humility that he kind of walks around with at all times. To see him throw his hands in the air uh, and have that moment of exultation was, was worth it all for me. And really the image of the week that I don't think we get if it's a standard American champion, obviously wouldn't get that. if it's an American champion, but Hideki's caddy bow. bowing, the bow to the course, in zero words, I felt like perfectly summed up what this tournament means to all of us who really mm-hmm. hold it dear. It, it's that reverence to not only who's going to be on the leaderboard, but the reverence to the place and, and sort of that flag in time that... Um, that, uh, that checkpoint in time each and every year that we make. Well, this year, that checkpoint is Deki Matsuyama winning for not only himself, but for his home country of Japan. And it, it, it's just really exciting all around. Um, I, I know a lot of people are saying, oh, having a non-English speaking champion is going to be such, a, is gonna be such a, a, a hard thing for CBS to have to deal with and for the memberships to have to deal with at Augusta. Well, no. I think it's long been an issue mm-hmm. in the membership at Augusta National that it is the old boys club and that the doors are closed. Well, this is a door open. You know, this is an opportunity for Augusta national to now open their door and open that champions locker room to someone that doesn't sound like us. That doesn't look like us. That isn't just another middle-aged white guy in a green jacket, which is Mm -hmm. kind of the, uh, the longstanding knock on Augusta national. Um, It is, it is a step forward is a step in the right direction. I think it's a step towards inclusivity. Now having a Japanese champion, masters champion.
1: It, uh, you were kind of talking about too about how this this doesn't necessarily this tournament didn't really necessarily have the signature shot of the signature moment. Yeah, went, what was it for you? For me, it was I was, was I was kind of trying to think about it. It was the rain delay on Saturday, and then Matsuyama came out of it and just absolutely lit the course on fire. Like he, obviously yeah. he had he played consistently all weekend, but that was what separated him from everybody else. Was he came out of the rain delay, and I think he was asked what he did during the rain delay. And he said, "I went in my car and looked at my phone." Um, so that was very relatable. Um, but it was for sure. I got. I'd want to pull up his exact scorecard, but he came out on Saturday after the rain delay with a a wet course and a chance to kind of take advantage of his opportunity there. And and he absolutely did. I'm having trouble pulling up doing exactly what he did on that I'll back nine. It. But I'll that was the it. that was the that's where he created the separation. That's where he got himself to a four. Uh, four shot lead headed into Sunday, and then also we always talk about on Sunday. You know when when you got that who's you know teeing off in the last group, who has a lead here, who's in a tight spot, who's in a pressure spot on t- number you know number one at Augusta with with a lead or close to the lead in the Masters. Natsuyama the four shot lead on number one on Sunday takes out I think the three wood it was and just absolutely slices it into the pine straw. And like you yeah. said. The Masters is about limiting your mistakes, limiting the damage until you get to those scoring areas and then taking advantage, and that's what he did. He put one into the pine straw, didn't panic, didn't calm down. Maybe Jordan Spieth makes a double or triple there. He found his way to get out, took his medicine, got up and down, made his five, only lost a shot there, and went from, oh, my, this is a disaster to, okay, you know what, we're fine. We're still up three. And for me, that was was a defining moment, even though it was a bogey. It was a very defining bogey for me.
0: Yeah, and I think you saw those nerves throughout, uh, not to turn your positive into a negative. He did play the back nine in 39 on Sunday. So um, does Hideki Matsuyama win this tournament if he has a one-shot lead coming into Sunday? No. No. Does Hideki Matsuyama win this tournament if he has a three-shot lead coming into Sunday? Uh, I'd argue that, you know, the math tells me that we would have been headed to a playoff, Mm -hmm. and that's why the signature shot for me was his second-to-last shot on Saturday. The chip from behind the green on 18, which is a shot we don't see very often at Augusta. Downhill, into the grain. Um, No way you're stopping that ball. Mm -hmm. The the, the green's running away from you, and he hits just a perfect, like, three-hopper in the first cut that just gets to the green and then trickles down to the hole, makes the putt, saves the par. Um, Just an absolutely unbelievable uh, example of his short game prowess throughout the week that maintained that large breadth between him and the next closest heading into Sunday. Mm-hmm. I thought that that was the biggest shot of the tournament for him. And then, I mean, it's always weird to say like all signature shot being a drive, but the drive at 18, I mean, you don't see Hideki club twirl it too often. He gave yeah. that thing everything he had and then twirled it. And then, I mean, he does, Thin a pitching wedge into a bunker from there, but that's
1: neither here it's, nor there. Um, it didn't happen. We didn't see that one.
0: I, I do want to talk about the rest of the field a little bit here because yeah, it's Sadiki's green jacket, and um, he was seen at the Atlanta airport that was connecting awesome. on his flight home with the with the jacket just kind of thrown over the chair there. But uh, in terms of those that could have had their hands on the jacket, uh, in a solo second, Will Zalatoris finishes one back of the lead at nine under. Uh, then from there, Jordan speeds Xander Shawley tied for uh, third place at seven under John Rom T5 after the round of the week. No, excuse me. Uh, Justin Rose's 65 was round of the week on Thursday. But other than that, it was Rahm with a 66 on Sunday. Came into Sunday's round at even par. And then just absolutely like with he a smile on his face, just lights the place on fire and post a number. Wish it was a little deeper to just kind of give Hideki something to look at. But uh, mm-hmm. awesome final round by John Rahm. Um, just, just kind of uh, dealer's
1: choice here, Matt, who I got you're
0: disappointed. He didn't
1: really disappoint me. I loved watching Jordan all weekend.
0: Yeah, but, he, but it was very disappointing to me because nobody hit the ball better than him. He just sure. couldn't make a putt. Inside, that, I guess, that's feet. fair I it's guess like his overall did.
1: game wasn't disappointing to me but his inability like, if he was I was texting I believe with he was uh,
0: first in strokes game t to green
1: like oh yeah I was texting with friend of the podcast Matt Siegert from most of most of the day Saturday a lot of day Sunday both was just kind of saying like man if Jordan could just make a couple putts from inside 10 feet he'd run away with this thing he just can't sink one so I guess yeah. I was encouraged with his you know his play like you were saying t degree the way he was hitting the ball but his putting just absolutely killed him but That said, he was the most entertaining golfer of the weekend for me, just because that's what Jordan Spieth kind of does.
0: 100%. And Jordan Spieth will, as long as Tiger Woods is not in the field, Jordan Spieth is the most entertaining player on the Mm -hmm. PGA Tour. I don't think you're going to get a ton of pushback on that unless it's like Justin Thomas' dad that you're having a conversation with. I think that jT was my most disappointing yeah um, was my most disappointing player of the week because not only was I holding a jT ticket but he was right there he was in the conversation and he ends up finishing the tournament even par uh, t21 after a 75 73 on the weekend uh, when we went into the rain delay, I believe JT was two or three i think he was i think he of of was five
1: under and the leaders were at se- leader was at seven yeah. so yeah he was right there so,
0: it was like he, you could have tailored the kid for the green jacket if he kept mm-hmm. playing the way he was playing prior to that. Now, you talk about Matsuyama out of the rain delay. Well, he goes birdie, birdie, par, par, eagle, birdie, birdie to play the back nine Saturday.
1: In Is that 30. good? Uh,
0: if we want to pull up Justin Thomas's card on the third round coming out of the rain delay, he goes into the rain delay with a bogey, gets a, right back with a birdie, and then makes a triple at number 13 makes it eight at the par five that was the uh that was the thin chip,
1: pretty much right where the right
0: into right into Ray's Creek uh follows that up with another bogey gets one back with a birdie but shoots a 39 on the back on Saturday to pretty much take himself out of this and then I mean I don't want to say he let go of the rope on Sunday but Sunday's struggles were start to finish as well Mm -hmm. uh goes 36 on the front and 37 on the back. So I think, uh, you know, we always have the conversation about whose fastball is is the most unhittable when they have it going. And for me right now, to have that conversation, I feel like you have to have Justin Thomas a part of that, which makes it so frustrating for me that this ball-striking aficionado uh, couldn't take advantage of where he was on Saturday and then couldn't take advantage of a softened course after an hour and 15-minute rain delay. I'm the biggest JT fan you're going to find. And I really think it's a matter of when, not if, in terms of Justin Mm -hmm. Thomas joining that, that uh, champion's locker room at the Masters. This game just fits it. Um, But I think if I'm going to be critical right now, I think that there needs to be an attitude audit done on Justin Thomas. Sometimes he gets the stink face going and that's a good thing. You know, know he's pure in it, but that's a razor's edge being Mm -hmm. on the like the right side of that being on like the, you know, dejected side of the stink face. And, and um I think the way I would categorize, categorize this weekend is JT let his emotions get the best of him and then he let go of the rope.
1: He'd probably tell you the same thing, I'd have to imagine. Yeah, I mean, it, it was – we talk about the run Matsuyama made out of the rain delay. I thought coming out of that rain delay with, you know, JT kind of having a nice Saturday, getting himself right back into it, back within a couple shots of the lead after uh, – I thought that was kind of his time to make that run because, like you said, he was just kind of getting to that stretch on the back nine where you can go and make some scores, make some low numbers. And that chip, well, he was already kind of trending the wrong way at that point when he hits that chip in the water. Not that it it would have been tough to come back and win anyways, but you can see from the reaction, from the look on his face, I think you can even hear him on the hot mic, like that was over. It was over him Mm -hmm. there, and I think you're right. Excuse me that he sometimes does let the emotions get a little bit too, too much of the best of him. And sometimes that does work out well for him. I mean, I think you saw during the players when he was kind of feeling himself, kind of getting those emotions on 18, he hit the high wire shot right down the line of the water and, and he kept it in and was just feeling himself. And that was a good thing. And then we saw the opposite of that, the emotions getting invested yeah. this weekend.
0: You, you know, the comparison I want to make here to go a different direction, uh, talk about a few more of these guys before we go big picture, but what it looked like to me in terms of ball striking and even the way they swing it. Will Zalatoris this weekend looked like Justin Thomas with a good attitude. Like he just had, he just had the right approach to that final round. You're 24 years old on limited membership on the PGA tour. Mm -hmm. Um, You've been playing the best golf of your life over the last two months. You find yourself um, within striking distance on Sunday at the masters. You've, you've struggled with the putter in the past, but like you completely put that aside because you feel like you should be there. You know you should be there. Um, you weather the storms when they come. Like, he just had the perfect demeanor in order to contend. And I think that, you know, not to go too crazy about a guy who's just really swinging it well right now, but Will Zalatoris looks like a guy who could be there for the next decade contending at Masters just because of the fact that I, I, I'm not sure that anyone, I think statistically Jordan did, but I'm not sure that anyone hit the ball better than Will Zalatoris throughout the week is the putter still the weakness there? Yes, but just just in terms of, like, relative to Justin Thomas, like, I feel like that's what JT's week should have looked like um, mm-hmm. if he could have kind of kept that – if he could have kept that energy channeled in the proper direction.
1: Yeah, it, it, that's a good point. And I, I think the putter not being there for him is something that tends to happen sometimes with the younger golfers, and that's something that's also very – correctable fixable if you put in the time and the effort on um and i kind of i've said it a couple times here but you walk into augusta on sunday in that spot where you're in contention at the masters and he went you know par off the first or did Did he get the ball on the tee Um, uh, you know know, he went birdie birdie to start i'm sorry i I thought he started around eight hundred. he went birdie birdie to open he but he did bogey the third but then you know Kept it even from there till the end of the uh yeah. the, end of the front. No line. one
0: was birdieing one on Sunday. No, and he did, one like he time. went out
1: and birdied the first hole at Augusta and put a little bit of pressure on on the leader at that point. Like that for me, a young kid at the Masters who doesn't have a tour card who's fighting for you know his professional life and you know, could have let all of the emotions get to him there and just absolutely block one off the first tee was absolute nails and that I think for me speaks going forward to where he's at, how, how confident I am in his abilities, his, at, least, at least in his headspace going forward. And like you said, he strikes the ball as well as anybody. Um, and then so look at that look, was impressive at, for me.
0: Very impressive. And if you look at the back nine, if you take a look at that card, mm-hmm. he goes bogey on 10, bogey on 12, and a 24-year-old in the final pairing could have
1: you – know, uh, Whatever, really, I'm done. I'll finish five yeah, under, whatever. You, still can, make his you, could
0: rip, you could rip the air brakes there and end up T21. Mm-hmm. Instead, he turns it around – birdie at 15, birdie at 17, another whole 17 there that not many people were making birdies on. Yeah. And that was right in that window of like, oh, Hideki just bogeyed. Um, it, do we have a tournament here? And it was sort of in question for about 45 seconds there after, mm-hmm. uh, after Hideki made the bogey at 15. Um, and then you step up to 16, the par three, and it's essentially a match play situation there. Uh, for Xander Shoffley, and it's his tee. And he puts one in the water at 16. I mean...
1: You can't do that.
0: I'd love to see the number of balls that made it to the water on 16 throughout the week. I would be hard-pressed to guess that there were more than four balls in the water all week. That is <laughs> such a massive miss or miss club. Or, and he claims he claimed that he had the right club. He claimed that he peered it and that just a wall of wind came up. I'm sorry. I, I, I just if he had the right club he did not hear it it. dotty said it on the on the broadcast too that some wind gusted up there late on him but you got to get that thing to dry land you're you're one off the lead um you're you have every chance in the world to be right there and xander's a guy who's who's contended and he's he's been in in final second to last Mm -hmm. um pairings or trios at the masters i mean he's he had, he had to share the lead in 2019 on 16, I think as late as 16, before Tiger right, made yeah. the birdie. Mm-hmm. Like, he's been in that situation before. Obviously, it's still a nerdy situation, but if you want to take your career to that next level, Xander Shoffley, we need this ball on dry land. Yeah. Um, not mean, only do we need this ball on dry land, we need a birdie look. And for him to lay that egg at 16 and essentially put the jacket on the back of Matsuyama was really disappointing. Uh, if you were holding a Xander ticket, if you're a mm-hmm. Xander fan, or if you were looking for, if you were looking for a little bit of drama coming down the stretch, um, I, I just think that, not to blow it out of proportion, but I think that's very telling of where Xander's mental game is at. Uh, if you're going to put him in the most pressure-packed situation that golf can offer you, yeah, that's a lot to ask of a guy. But when you ask that of the greats. They respond. Uh, yeah. That was not the response we're looking for out of Xander.
1: I mean, we're talking about signature shots of the tournament, and usually those are, are good shots. But I think if you ask a lot of people the shot they're going to remember from this one, it's very likely Xander having that chance it's on 16 and then Xander plopping one into the water. Um, yeah. you, you were talking about how he, he's saying the wind gust. I also don't buy that because in order to make it into the water there, that ball has to be hit so poorly short because, and, and so mishit because where that pin is on 16 and how that green feeds down, we've seen it a hundred times. The shot is mainly you, to the, you kind of you hit it to the middle of that take, green and then let the ball feed back yeah. down because that's where it wants to go. No one's actually going right at that pin. You're taking a
0: line that never crosses water. Yeah. Like you're supposed to be at least. Um, so I, I just think that uh, it's something to keep an eye on because like everybody on tour talks about Xander Schauffele as if he's this like, a uh, picture-perfect example of what you want in a golfer: his talent, his work ethic, the the chances he gives himself, and that's all well and good. But Xander Shaufly, to me right now, is more Tony Finau than he is Justin Thomas, or he's more Tony Finau than he is Dustin Johnson. Um, he's got, and uh, he's got a real knack for being there and not getting it done.
1: He kind of reminds me of. Ricky from the those 2013 2014 type years where he's the up like everyone loves him he is an up and comer everyone's saying he's going to get his and be really good but at that time for Ricky he just kind of ran into a brick wall of Rory McIlroy there isn't really that one guy now but there were a lot of opportunities where he had the chance to grab the brass ring didn't do it Xander's had a couple chances to go do it and he's just not doing it yeah we expect him to do it eventually but as we've seen with Ricky there, it's not a given. You still have to go take it. No one's just going to give you this this win, give you this major, and get that monkey off your back. And Xander hasn't been able to do that yet, sometimes not through his own fault. But on, on Sunday, the chance was right there for him, and he just completely failed.
0: Uh, you got any other guys you want to give a note about here before we uh, offer some, some broader strokes uh, to the Masters? Um, not Anybody particularly. John
1: Rahm's Sunday was a lot of fun. I think he's going to get, you talk about guys that are entertaining and fun to watch, like Jordan Spieth, I think John Rahm is up there with the emotion and how far he hits the ball. Um, yeah, but it's, like,
0: getting, it's I, getting to that point where John, John Rahm is, John's got to get one too. Anymore. He's yeah. got to, he's got to go out there and get one. So we don't, um, go for that low hanging fruit of like, is this Sergio
1: Garcia, you know? Mm-hmm. And then I liked, uh, I liked Phil's performance. I thought he had kind of a rough first round, and it was nice to see him in a spot where he could have been, you know, I'm 50 years old, I've won all these, I'm just going to kind of play a nice round Friday, and so he kind of bounced back, went under par, and uh, wasn't really in contention, but had himself, I believe, under par for the tournament, or maybe finished even, but he was right around there. I thought that was a, a nice effort from, from lefty. Even par for the tournament, T21.
0: Uh, just go. one final thought here on John Rahm. Very interesting if you look at it. 72 72 72 66 but those three straight 72s thursday friday saturday mm-hmm. he had 36 he went out in 36 and came home in 36 all six of those nines. so he went 36 36 36 Jeez. 36 36 36 and then lit the world on fire on uh, sunday which was which was kind of fun to watch and sort of a statistical oddity there um but he did give us uh You did give us a couple birdies to to roar about on Sunday. But, Matt, I do want to get your take here just on the way the tournament played and the course as a whole. Um, Augusta National obviously is far beyond our criticism or critique, Mm -hmm. but um, I think there were certain things that I loved and certain things that maybe missed the mark. I really liked the way that the tournament played uh, on Thursday and then Friday. Thursday was like, hey, give it your best shot. Try and be somewhere around par because this thing's going to be wide open. Mm-hmm. Um, greens were lightning fast. Uh, guys were having trouble holding some of the pins, even the easier pins. Uh, and then Friday, some scoring chances came about. I feel like it kind of, uh, feel like it flattened, for lack of a better term, on the weekend where, um, now I don't know if that's due to the rain, but I, I think even prior to the rain, there could have been a little bit more fire in it because this is a tournament here in the Masters. It's the only tournament, especially major-wise, that we don't care where guys are at in relation to par as long as mm-hmm. they're bunched up. Like, yeah. I like, I had fun watching DJ throw darts at Augusta in November and go 20 under, 22 under, whatever it was. That was fun. I had a lot of fun on Thursday watching guys try and grind out pars and hit these awesome little shots around the green. Like, it's all so interesting because of the creativity that this course brings out in these players. Um, so to see that on Thursday, I would have loved a little bit more of that on Saturday.
1: Yeah, I, I, I thought Thursday especially was not that Augusta felt, like, embarrassed by DJ's 20-under. No, I think but they knew what like, the circumstances were. I, th- I think we everybody well knew aware. what the circumstances were. It was the time they're not used to putting on a tournament, and course yeah. conditions were kind of ripe for that. They always got a lot of rain. I think Thursday was them saying something along the line. I, them hearing people say, well, maybe Augusta's getting outdated for today's golfers, and then be like, nah, no, no, it, it's really not. We, we're, we're still yeah. here. We still got this. Um, you didn't see as much of that on the weekend. I think Saturday, the rain had a lot to do with that, especially because you saw people come out as we talked about Matsuyama scoring a lot after that rain delay. Um, yeah, that was my biggest takeaway though, was the early rounds, how like you were saying on Thursday, especially people were scrambling to make a score, people were really grinding out there to make scores. And that was just a, a a fun message from Augusta to the, to the golfers, to golfers sure. media perception of the course of 20 under par is not the new normal. That's not going to happen very often. Don't get used to it.
0: Um, one other critique I had, and again, for what it's worth, I thought when I was kind of sitting down and thinking about the tournament at the end of it, I felt like this year, and even maybe back in November, just the way things were, um, we didn't have a ton of shots off the pine straw. And I think that's a big part of the masters. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think that was due to the fact that the second cut um, was grown up and catching a lot catching of the shots that would have have otherwise roll out. rolled out. Like, Augusta national is not a difficult course for these guys to drive it around. I I think in terms of like fairway width, it's one of the more forgiving tracks that they're going to see all season. Uh, It's a second shot golf course. So when guys are off the mark off the tee, it needs to be punished. Like we can't, we can't be having things hang up here and still have a look into a par five from the second cut, because that ball should be 30 more yards right in the pine Mm -hmm. straw. Like that's, that's what produced Phil at 13, uh, back in 2004, you know, that's what produced that moment. Um, that'll four, whatever it was, but, um, yeah, I think I would have liked to seen the fairways playing a little firmer, a little faster, um, because that brings even more strategy into it. But I mean, all in all, it's Augusta national. It's so much fun to look at for four days. It's so much fun to like, I feel like if there's a course I could play in my head over and over and over that I know, uh, better than any course. It's probably Augusta National, which is funny because there's certain courses that I've played
1: hundreds, countless
0: times, times and actually walked under, like had the course under my feet. Mm-hmm. But Augusta National is burnt into my brain, and just seeing it uh, back in its, you know, in its truest form, uh, situated in April, it was a lot of fun. Um, and with that, I'll ask you this question, Matt: What is your favorite stretch there at Augusta? What is? Is there a hole? Is there a stretch of holes? Because I found myself. You know, we love Amen Corner. Two's so much fun to get the runs, mm-hmm. round started. Uh, I think um, seven, the way it played. Or was it six, the drivable kind of par three that everyone was kind of leaving it short left mm-hmm. of it. Or drivable par four, excuse me. That one was a lot of fun. But for me, I don't know why this year it just kind of jumped off the page of me. 15-16 is so great. That second, That's shot, that second shot into 15 is always such a cool look. And then if guys are long, they had that drone shot from mm-hmm. behind 15, like there was a Justin Rose drone shot on Saturday. That was the coolest thing I've ever seen, like covered in golf. Like the way they tanned it as he was playing, it was unbelievable. If we're gonna get kind of like production nerdy about it, but 15 and then to have like an actual, depending on where the pin is, and Sunday being one of them, an actual hole in one opportunity, if you bring it off the ridge the right way at 16 to change the, the complexion of the tournament. I think right there is such a sweet spot at 15,
1: 16. No, you, you, I'm, I'm disappointed you stole my answer. Um, it, I, I love those, I, I agree, with with everything you said. I like it. I like that stretch too for me because that's really the last good scoring opportunity for these guys. Like if you're gonna make a move on Saturday, you're gonna you're gonna come back and you're gonna win on Sunday. 15, 16. You yep. you need at least Birdie on fifteen, and you might have to you, you have a chance, you gotta make a play for Eagle on fifteen. Then you get to sixteen. 16 is not that difficult of a par three. You know exactly where you have to put the ball, especially on Sunday, like you said. Added to the
0: buck seventy-seven. Yeah,
1: like it's it's a hole that, like you said, on Sunday especially, with where they put that pin, it gives you a chance to, if you put it in the right spot, be right there for it to happen, maybe even have a chance at a hole-in-one, whatever. Um, the drama, the theater of 16, I think, is what gets to a lot of guys, and rightfully so. It's one of the most famous par threes in golf. I think it might be my favorite hole in golf. Um, that stretch, because it's so opportune to score and so it's, it's so like scorable, it, it is gettable, but the pressure, the drama, the emotion of it being Augusta National kind of weighing on people, like that's your last chance. It's doable, but you got to overcome the course and kind of the aura of Augusta. That's mm-hmm. why I love that stretch.
0: Yeah, I, I really enjoy it. I, I think 18 has its own lore because it's 18 at it's Augusta. 18 at Augusta. Um, Seventeen gets lost in the Knicks a little bit for me. I don't know what they can do or if anything needs to be done, but it's such a like. It's, that would almost be that would almost be like Amen Corner Light if you could do something yeah. really cool with seventeen.
1: It's tough to. It's like it's not like it's a bad golf hole by any means. It's no. just more like you got fifteen and sixteen
0: forward, You
1: have three of the most forward
0: for the pin, yeah. uh, for, for the penultimate uh, hole. Well, didn't the they used tournament tournament. to have the,
1: Didn't before. they used to have the big tree that got complained Washington, and took it out? Washington yeah, tree or something. I forgot like that. what it was um, called. Well, that was uh, something. Yeah. Um, tree 17 Augusta. I forgot why it they took it out. People were complaining. The Eisenhower. It. Them, the Eisenhower, Eisenhower tree. Knew it was one of those uh, presidents. Uh,
0: it was a native loblolly pine. Stood about 60, uh, 65 feet tall. Oh, was wider. Uh, was wider than its typical species located on 17. I believe it was struck by lightning in a storm, if I'm not mistaken.
1: All right. That sounds um, right.
0: Tree was removed after suffering extensive damage from a major ice storm. Me. So you lose the Eisenhower tree and 17 loses its floor. It,
1: it, that's, that's what happens. It had, its, <laughs> it had its luster. It had its glory. The tree went it. down.
0: Uh, but another exciting Masters tournament in the books, the 2021 champion Hideki Matsuyama,
1: uh, forever etched in history. It, what did you think of far- his swing, by the way? I, I've i watched it. I didn't realize the the dramaticness of the pause at the top. Oh, I didn't realize always, that was yeah. – I knew he kind of had that little bit like – yeah, I didn't, until I actually sat down was watching every one of his shots on Saturday and most of them on Sunday while I was at work. Like, there's a there's a real pause. Like that's a second pause.
0: Yeah, and I was actually um so on a I June, to we did hits we did hits, <laughs> we did hits Saturday and Sunday, um, legitimately all day. I was doing twenty minutes up, ten down, twenty minutes up, ten down, and just kind of oh. like live, like what just happened, reaction yeah. with our analysts. And Doug Bell, one of our guys, I asked him, I go, Doug, is this a a situation where like this timing mechanism in Hideki's swing, do you think this could present problems coming down the stretch at a major like that the timing of it all could get thrown off and then your swing is out of sorts? And he said, 100%. And that's why he's talked with Hideki and Hideki's swing coach and Mm -hmm. obviously through the translator, that they're trying to shorten that pause, that that pause has gotten even almost a little too exaggerated. yeah. They're trying to get that transition to happen a little bit smoother. But I mean, whatever it was, It it worked out. Because the man has a green jacket to his name, uh, an applause, a hat tip, and a golf clap to Hideki Matsuyama. Matt, any parting thoughts for the 2021 Masters?
1: This, uh, I, you should run this up the flagpole. I think when Nick Faldo's sitting in Butler Cabin and they're doing their live hits, whatever, I think he should get to wear his green jacket when he's doing the broadcast. Whoa. Yeah, because that's what stuck out to me. I saw him and Nance talking. And obviously the CBS jacket, it's great. It's nice. You got the nice little logo. But you're Nick Faldo. You're at the Masters. You're a two-time Masters champion. Let the guy wear his green jacket.
0: I'm sure that that conversation has been had before, and I don't know why they haven't come right. to the conclusion that you talk just Talk to somebody.
1: Um, tell them, yeah, tell them I said that. I'll
0: get the big wigs
1: out of Maybe on the, that's Maybe that's how they'll how put me in charge it. of Masters production. Who knows?
0: Uh, we do have to get this thing rolling on a tard out here. Um, but bringing you Moose and Roots fans a podcast, as we always do. You want to talk a little baseball before we say goodbye here, Matt. A tough one a night ago as Lucas Giolito matches uh, Shane Bieber in an absolute pitcher's duel, scoreless through nine. I mean, both of them mowing everybody down. Mm-hmm. I think Bieber got into a little trouble there in the ninth.
1: Yeah, that was it. Uh,
0: and Giolito got into trouble, I think – Julio
1: got in trouble. I believe it was the seventh. Six, he got six, into a little bit seventh. and then got out of it, and then they let got him start the yeah. let him start the eighth, and he uh, let off with a walk, yeah. and then the Sox bullpen was able to get out of it. Um, um, that was fun. That was a lot of fun to yeah, watch it, a good old fashioned pitcher duel.
0: It was. Um, your general assessment of the first week and a half here of White Sox baseball. Uh, I mean, I think it's pretty basic in the fact that disappointing they're slumping they're slumping and they're not fielding all that well and when you're not doing that you're not going to win many games
1: yeah i mean it's it's disappointing I, it's not by any it, it's disappointing not discouraging i think might be the way i'd put it yeah like, i think that's
0: i think that's a good way to I, i'm categorize. aware that
1: they faced shane bieber last night i'm also aware that their approach at the plate against him wasn't all that great anytime that somebody goes into the eighth inning with under 90 pitches yeah. you're not seeing pitches you're not going up there with the right approach. You're just kind of going up there hacking. And I know Shane Bieber has filthy stuff. I wasn't expecting them to go out and, you know, light him up. I was expecting maybe not 90 pitches through nine innings. Um, the fielding's gotten a little bit better. I think the pitching's been, the, the bullpen had a little bit of a rough start. Bullpen looks like they're getting their feet underneath them. Um, I just I'm waiting waiting for that lineup to come along because I, I know yeah. they're banged up, but you look at that lineup Luis Robert, he's been fine. I, I haven't been too upset with him. He's Still needs to improve that patience at the plate, but he's definitely taken a step from last year. Uh, Abreu will be fine, I think, because he's Jose Abreu and he notoriously starts slow a little bit. I'm waiting for Yohan Moncada to finally be Yohan Like I I know his fancy numbers are looking a little bit better than they were last year, and contact suggests this and that. That's all great. That's well and good, and I hope it trends that way. But at some point, I need to start seeing him be the superstar that he can be, the one that he was in 2019. The that was, I think he ended up finishing in the MVP voting at some point. Um, he he needs to be that guy if this team is going to go where they want to go. That's yeah. That for I, I me think is the I've, guy to watch.
0: I think I've sat on this podcast before and said, Yohan Moncada is the guy in this core that I'm most excited about." Or I guess I get I, I he get, has uh, the highest I'm ceiling of any. Of about. Yeah, I don't even know if I'd go that far. Just I love his game. I love the way he looks at the plate. I love his swagger. Mm-hmm. I just don't love the way he's playing the game right now. He's not been great. I mean, he gets down 0-2 with a runner on. Our, our best chance mm-hmm. is after who takes that walk in the ninth. They got a runner on second, and like immediately goes down 0-2 in the count, and then just flails that one to strike out. It's I know he's not.
1: I know he's always fun. had and like. It's it's why I believe it was in 18 he led the American League in strikeouts by, like a, by a long shot. He's always had a look-first approach, and he, he does have a fantastic eye. Um, he, he sees a lot of pitches. He draw, does draw a lot of walks. But at some point when you're that good of a hitter, especially when that's the book on you, he never swings first pitch. And a lot of times when you're that guy that is looking for walks, that that is the book on you, you're going to get something to hit early on and I'm not saying completely change your approach to baseball, change your approach at the plate, but don't take don't, assume, don't assume that first pitch is take always. Have that, bat, yeah. have that bat up, and I'm not saying he has the bat on the shoulder he's automatically taking, but like, be ready to jump on that first pitch because oftentimes, not necessarily when you're facing a Shane Bieber, but when you're facing a back end of the rotation guy, when you're facing a bullpen guy, when you're facing someone that's a little bit younger – they're going to want to get that first pitch over for a strike, especially against the Yoan Moncada, especially a guy that's going to want to draw walks. Be ready to jump on that first pitch because you're going to get a lot of pitches to hit, and that's oftentimes the best one you're going to get.
0: We're approaching the hey, hit it hard somewhere uh, yeah. portion of the program here with uh, Yoan Moncada. But like you said, I, I think I, what was the way you categorized it there, it, it disappointed but not discouraged.
1: Yeah. That, I, I think, think that's, that's where I, I'm at. I, I think that not, perfectly
0: summarizes where I'm at with the Sox. I right
1: think now. they'll be fine. I'm not worried about them. I, I'm fully confident that come September they'll be in the middle of a, of a division race, probably with the Twins. I don't think the Indians. I don't think the Royals, they'll love Nicky Lopez. I don't think the Royals or the Tigers are going to really be there floating around the division. But what's dis- disappointing for me, not discouraging, is that this slow start might be the difference between a two- or three-game lead on September 15th or yeah. tied for the division on September 15th.
0: What uh, what's the word on the other side of town right now?
1: Can't hit at all, yeah. whatsoever. Uh, a little bit disappointing. But you know
0: what? Like, we, not to not to cut you off here, but like, there are only a couple of rosters that haven't figured out at this point. At that's fair. Point. Like, that's a good this, point. Like the Dodgers are the only. You look around like baseball. Really, there's not The like,
1: Dodgers are really good. Everybody you know? else has kind of been like middling throughout, and I, I don't know if that has something to do with the new baseball, whatever. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of hitters are having a tough time figuring it out. Yeah, it's been pitcher dominant. That's why this season. I think for Cubs fans, they're a little bit disappointed that you have so many guys in contract years. Like you got a hobby Baez is playing for a new deal. Chris Bryant's actually been pretty good. Uh, Anthony Rizzo's off to a slow start. Wilson Contreras had the bomb last night, but he hasn't been hitting too well. Um, just they've. I, I know, like we were just saying, there hasn't been a lot, whole lot of hitting around baseball consistently. Going into last night, they had something like 49 hits through their first 10 games, or something like that. It's been very, mm-hmm. very bad for them.
0: Um, uh, we'll see if they can wake the bats up, and we'll see if the Sox can sort of get things to gel because it is no longer uh, opening day or opening weekend. It is time to start making pushes inside the division and establish yourself as the favorite or uh, starting
1: line. There, there you go. Yeah, we
0: do got that TA coming. Them. When's TA coming back?
1: TA will be back tomorrow. They fully expect him. Uh, he's eligible to come off the DL tomorrow. i excuse me, um, and they expect him to be come back on. right away. Come on, man. That's it'll, it'll always be the DL. That's just come on. Um,
0: but yeah, so we'll, we'll see what that can do to this lineup. Uh, likely, we will take the role of a leadoff hitter from Adam Eaton, who's I mean, done a great job in that a, role. Offered a, really a couple nice home runs. Um, yeah, so I'd like you said disappointed not discouraged which i think is the is the general uh, reaction here to the moose and ruins podcast as well from our yeah. award-winning listeners we appreciate you guys as always for tuning in to this moose and ruins podcast episode 202 matt you got anything for the people before we bid them adieu
1: no no nothing no. good i'm sure they appreciate that well for matt they i have, don't have nothing much we, they don't <laughs> have much more for me <laughs> we appreciate you guys listening oh congratulations friend of the podcast parker carroll he's a dad now
0: Parker Carroll's a dad. Otis Andrew Carroll. Big fan. Otis Andrew Carroll. I love that. Uh, A hat tip and a golf clap to Packy uh, for getting the JD kid. Uh, We appreciate you as always, Parker, for tuning in. I'm sure you're listening to this one. Congratulations to you and well wishes to you and your family. But for now, we say goodbye to Houston Rooms. Episode 202 for Matt. I am Joe. Talk to you guys soon.